Have you ever, I know you have, have you ever just had to say goodbye to an old friend? You know, you spent time together and you've really gotten to know them and all whatever, and then either you move away or they move away, but you have to say bye to a very dear friend. That's, that's kind of how I feel this morning as we come to this last sermon in the book of Hebrews. I mean, it's been a friend for a long time. I mean, I have lived in Hebrews for almost the last two years, the last year and a half anyway. And it's been week after week I've gone to Hebrews and I've, I've, I've concentrated and meditated and, and worked in a text out of that book. And, and I just feel like today I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, I, I, we're, we're coming to the end, the last sermon, the grand finale. And uh, it's just kind of tough. I have loved this book. I have loved being in it. I've loved week after week talking about the glory of Christ, exalting the Lord, exalting Jesus Christ over and over and over again in every way that it does, which we'll kind of recount at the end of this sermon today. But, but it's just been a tremendous time for me. Now you may be saying, you get something aside Hebrews for a while. And you are. You're going to get Jude for about seven or eight weeks. The most neglected book in all the New Testament, maybe in all the Bible. And then you're going to get John. And you think we spent a lot of time with Hebrews. We're going to have a great time. We're going to have a real good friend when we get to the end of John's gospel. Somewhere around the turn of the millennium. Anyway... Take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1. And as I warned you last week, so you wouldn't panic, we're not starting all over again. This is the end. But I thought it appropriate that as we've worked through this week by week, meticulously looking at it verse by verse and looking at the, the glory of Christ in it, I, I thought it prudent that we go back to the beginning and, and remember where we started. I... I quickly tried to look up and I couldn't find the date. I found the passage, but I, I tried to find the date, the exact date that we started this. It just hit me this morning to do that, so I wasn't able to find it. But, but I, I think it's good to go back and hear those verses again and look at them in maybe just a, a little bit of a different light than we did the first time we looked at it. Listen to these words. This is the prologue. Now, we've talked about I've I usually continue still saying that the author said this because it is an anonymous letter, but as I told you two or three weeks ago, I do think Luke wrote it. And the more I study it, the more I really believe Luke wrote it. But anyway, here's what the author says. Starts out with no introduction. He doesn't say to the, to the Hebrew Christians in exile. He doesn't say to, to those Christians who are scattered apart, who are of Jewish heritage. He doesn't say anything. He just starts with God. That's always a good starting place. In everything we do, and everything we say, it's always good to start with our Heavenly Father. Whether we're starting a job or going to school or, or, or thinking about a career change or thinking about whatever, it's always good to start with God. What does God desire? Who is God? What is He in my life? And that's how this writer starts. He starts, God. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, and in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. 
and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Let's pray. Father, just to read these verses thrills our soul because of you. Or just to read these verses written years and years and years ago that exalt Christ to the pinnacle of everything you are and everything you've done is a joy to us. Father, drive that home joy in all our, that, that, that joy home in all of our lives again this morning as we worship you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus, God's final word. It's the title. Jesus, God's final word. Jesus, God's final expression and statement about who he is and what he's done and, and what he's all about. I mean, I, I mean, these four verses just exalt the name of Christ, and then the rest of this book that we've looked at has just taken those four verses and expounded on them and drawn them out and showed us so much more about who Jesus is. He starts out by simply saying that Jesus is God's prophetic voice. He says, Long ago, he spoke to our fathers in the prophets and in many other, many portions and, and many ways. I mean, there were dreams, there were visions, there was audible voices, there were, there were all sorts of things that were very common in the Old Testament among the prophets. And yet in these days, the writer here, Luke, I believe, is saying to you, listen, in these last days, if you want to know what God has to say, if you really want to understand the truth of God, don't listen for something else. Listen to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Because he is the epitome of everything God has to say. He's God's prophetic voice. You know, if you go back and look at the prophets, and you don't have to turn with me, you can just listen if you'd like, but I want to show you a few things. If you look at the prophetic voices of the Old Testament, Ezekiel, for instance, Ezekiel portrayed the glory of God all through his book. He said it this way in, in Ezekiel 128. He said, As the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard a voice speaking. And then you hear him describe the, his call into ministry. But, but he describes, first of all, the glory of God. And he portrays it quite well. It's like a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. It's like, it's like that that just captivates your attention. And, and you can't turn away. It's so beautiful. It's so, it's so royal. You have to look at it. But then we understand that while Ezekiel and throughout his book can portray for us the glory of God, only Jesus reflects that glory. Only Jesus shows us the fullness of the glory of God. Everything else is just sort of a, 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 an example. 
Everything else about him that, that the prophets talk about in talking about his glory, they give you a description of it, but Jesus shows you his glory in all its fullness. Or take Isaiah, for instance. If you, if you were to go and look at Isaiah, you would find that Isaiah expounds clearly throughout this whole book the nature of God. We, we talk about it. I read that a lot of times as a call to worship because I want you, uh, something from Isaiah, because I want you to see his glory. I want you to see his nature as we look at it. And in, in Isaiah 1 4, he said, Alas, a sinful nature, a nation, people weighted down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. They have abandoned the Lord and despised the Holy One of Israel. And they've turned away from him. Who is this God? What is his nature? His nature is holy. When Isaiah later on sees the, the vision of God in the temple, high and exalted and lifted up, what does he say? He says, I saw the seraphim surrounding the throne of God, and they were saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Now, you, you get an idea from that description as, as Isaiah expounds on the nature of God, but let me tell you something. It, it's only a picture. When you look at Jesus and you see Jesus, you not only have an expounding of the nature of God, you have Jesus manifesting the nature of God. God is love. God is righteous. God is just. God is perfect. God is holy. And all of those things that are talked about somewhat in abstract, although very real by the, the prophets of the Old Covenant, in Jesus Christ, they no longer abstract. They're very personal. They're very visible. So Isaiah can talk about the nature of God. Jesus shows us the nature of God. And we see that in, in verse four of, of, uh, or in, in verse 3 of Hebrews 1. Or Jeremiah the weeping prophet, the prophet who, who, who cried over his nation is, is well throughout his whole prophecy to describe the power of God. As a matter of fact, in, in 1, 18 and 19, this is what he says. He says, Now behold, I have made you today as a fortified city, this is God speaking, and as a pillar of iron and the walls of bronze against the whole land to the kings of Judah to its princes, to its priests, and to the people of the land. They will fight against you. Sort of what Psalm 2 was describing. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. I mean, I mean uh, Jeremiah over and over again talks about the power of God and, and God's promises of power. But in Jesus Christ, he displays that power. He raises the dead. He heals the blind. He, he feeds 5,000. He, he, he walks on water. He, he, he raises Lazarus. He goes to a cross and dies. And three days later, he rises again from the dead. I mean, all throughout the life of Christ, you have what Jeremiah and, and, and wanted, to, wanted to talk about, wanted to describe the power of God, but you see Jesus displaying it every single day. Somebody asked me just a couple of weeks ago in town here, uh, not a member of Grace, thank goodness. I hope they come to the Lord and come to know and come to Grace. That'd be fine. But, but at this point, they asked me the question. They said, do you really believe all those miracles? I mean, I mean, come on. Do you really believe that there were men blind from birth and just by a word from Christ they were healed? Yes. 
do you really believe that Jesus walked on water? Surely it was like William Barclay says. He knew where the stones were. It's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard in my life. But, but surely he didn't really walk on water. I mean, we know physics and chemistry and whatever that is, and you, you, you can't walk on water. You, you sink like a rock. He didn't. Do you really believe he spoke into a cave, a tomb, of a man that had been dead for four days, who the one standing around said, surely by now his, I love the King James on this, Surely by now his body stinketh. And he looked in that tomb and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And he was bound hand, foot, and grave clothes, came forth out of the tomb alive after being dead for four days. And, and Jewish thinking after three days, for three days the spirit kind of hovers over the body. And so there's this chance that maybe you can push it back into the body. But after three days, it's gone. Did he really raise Lazarus from the dead? Yes. Did he really come forth from the grave? Alive? Forevermore? Never to die again? Absolutely he did. Now I know that flies in the face of so much of postmodern uh, you know, thought today that just says, hey, they really can't. That kind of stuff can't really happen. But it did. And Jesus is God's prophetic voice in all of that. Hebrews goes on to tell us that not only is he the prophetic voice, but in verse 2, in these last days he has spoken to us in his Son. The speaking is not just through a, a, a method or through a, 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 an avenue, but the speaking is through his only begotten Son. The second person of the Godhead. The second person of the Godhead who was sent to take on flesh and to become a human and become fully man and fully God and to live among us. This one who speaks God's truth in the most clear prophetic voice is his son. He also says here that, that he is his heir. He, he, is, he has appointed him heir, that is the inheritor of all things. Everything's his. Everything there is. Everything that's owned by every Christian is his. Everything that's owned by every non-Christian is his. Everything from the dirt in the ground to the things we possess ourselves belongs to him. Jesus is the heir. He's the inheritor of all things. Now, I'm grateful that, that, that Paul made clear in, in Romans 8 and 17, when he made this statement, he said that, that the Spirit, or 16 and 17, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Albeit adopted children, we're not the begotten children of God. Jesus is the only begotten of God. We are the adopted into the family of God, the adopted children, but, but the Spirit himself bears, testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And listen to this. And if children heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. It means that everything that Christ inherits, we inherit. And Christ, part of his inheritance was his suffering. And so part of our inheritance 
is the part we don't like. It's the suffering part. But if we suffer with him, we are also glorified with him. There, there's, this, there's this earth. I mean, we all suffer. Some of us more than others. Some of us very painfully. Some of us financially. Some of us in, in, in grief and loss. We, we all suffer one way or another on this, on this earth. And, and, and quite frankly, that's what Jesus promised. He said in, in John 15, he said, you know, if, you, if, you, if they hated me, they'll hate you. If I suffered, you'll suffer. I mean, that's, that blows me away with all the, the, the health and wealth and, and name it and claim it and all that stuff that you see spouted off as Christianity, which has nothing to do with Christianity. Doesn't. The only thing Jesus really promised clearly... I mean, outside of eternal life and outside of the glory of God and outside of his presence with us, which is all great promises. But the only thing that's visible that he really promised is, is that if you desire to live godly, you will suffer. If you want to follow me, they're going to treat you like they treated me. So it's not they hate me, they hated him. So the consequence of that is they hate me. You understand? We are fellow heirs with him. He is the heir of everything that God did, everything that God has. He is the, the, is the inheritor of all of that. And now we have been adopted into his family, and, and because of that, we are joint heirs with him. If you read the book of Revelation, or if you read other prophetic voices, part of, the, part of the great truth of that is that one day we'll reign with him. We'll be with him forever. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, and, and we will be the inheritors along with Christ of all of that. I mean, it's, it's a, a glorious glorification that we will experience when we stand face to face to him. But it's not ours yet. It's not ours yet in, in the fullest expression of, of, of the word. So Jesus is the prophetic voice. He's God's son. He, he's God's appointed heir. And fourthly, it says here that, that, that Jesus is God's creative agent. He said he, he was appointed heir of all things, and it was through him, through whom, through Jesus, that also he made the world. Jesus is the creative agent. You, you look at the book of Colossians. Paul talks about that. All things were made by him, and all things were made through him, and all things were made for him. He is the, he is the creative agent of God. In the beginning, back when all time began, Genesis chapter 1, you know, God said, let us create, let us create. There's just a foretaste there in Genesis chapter 1 of the, of the truth, the biblical doctrine of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us create, let us make man in our own image. And Jesus was the creative agent of God. Fifthly, Jesus personified his glory. We talked a little bit about that. We talked about Ezekiel back under it being the prophetic voice that Ezekiel portrayed and described uh, God's glory, but Jesus reflected it. But, but, but the point that's made here is that Jesus is God's personified glory. Look at verse 3. And he is the radiance of his glory. The radiance, the, the shining forth, the, the expression in, in its fullest of his glory. And he's the exact representation of his nature. We'll come back to that in a minute. Jesus is God's personified glory in a person 
Remember in the Old Testament? Remember when God told them to build the tabernacle and they built the tabernacle by the perfect and exact dimensions that God gave and they, they built the, uh, the outer court and they built the holy place and then they built the holy of holies and, and all of that was to be exactly right and, and God said, you know, certain ones can enter the, the outer court and a few more, the, the priests, can enter the, the holy place but only the high priest on the day of atonement can enter the holy of holies. Remember that? Quite specific. The directions were were without any equivocation, they were without any nebulousness to them. That they were just clear. And on that day of atonement, when the when the high priest would go in and offer the, the atoning sacrifice on the throne, on the holy place, the Holy of Holies, on the Ark of the Covenant, when that was offered, then it is said that the, the Shekinah glory of God came down. And it came down during the day as a cloud. It came down at night as a, as a fire. And when they were wandering in the wilderness, the Shekinah glory of God led them. And they saw that cloud and they saw that fire. And they said, that's the presence of God. And that was really cool. I mean, I was great seeing the Shekinah glory, the, 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 a radiance in cloud form or fire form, and they saw God leading them. But let me tell you something. Jesus is the personification of that glory. He's that glory in a person. And he's radiant. He's radiant in his person. He's radiant in his work. He's, he's radiant in revealing God to us and showing us God's Word. So the glory in the tabernacle was great, but Jesus is better. The, the glory in the tabernacle was great, but Jesus is the greatest in an expression of the glory of God. Sixth, in these verses, so much in these three verses, Jesus is God's perfect revelation. That is because, the writer says, he is the exact representation of his nature. He is God. And because of that, we can look at him and say, he's just like God. He's, he, he's, he's who God is. Now, now our, our minds, even the most brilliant of us in, in this room or in this world, can, can, can hardly get a handle on the fact that this man, Jesus, was God. How can a man be God? How can God be a man? I mean, God sits on his throne in heaven. He reigns, and it says he is spirit. And, and, and as such, he has no body. He has no, no appearance as a, as a man. And yet here is here's God in the flesh. That's where a lot of people stumble with Christianity. A lot of people say, hey, I, I can accept Jesus as a great prophet. I can accept Jesus as a great teacher. I can accept Jesus as a great miracle worker. I can I, I can." I, I can accept him in all these things. Boy, you know, I just... I, God? I mean, really? Yeah, really. That's the uniqueness of Christianity. So that's the uniqueness of Christianity. That God so loved the world that he became a man. God so loved the world that he became a man and gave his son, that man, for our salvation. John 3, 16. I mean, the, the beauty of that is just unreal. 
but he is the perfect revelation of God, the exact essence and the actual being of God. And as hard as that is to put together mentally, you've got to understand that spiritually. You've got to get a hold on that. You've got to believe that. That's what faith is. Not being able to understand, not being able to, come, uh, not being able to explain it perfectly. Because the Trinity is one of those things that, as, as Charles Spurgeon said, if you, if you try to explain the Trinity you'll, or, or try to understand the Trinity, you'll lose your mind. If you deny it, you'll lose your soul. Seventh, quickly, God, uh, Jesus is God's cosmic sustainer. He is the sustainer of the whole cosmos. Now, now, every Jewish person believed that God sustained the entire universe, as Isaiah expressed in Isaiah 40, in the hollow of his hand. N nothing unusual about that. They believed that God sustained and protected and, and kept together everything in this whole universe in, in what Isaiah called the hollow of his hand. Colossians 1.17 says that the one who did that was none other than the very Son of God, Jesus Christ. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is God's cosmic sustainer. If Jesus were to cease to be, or if Jesus were to take his hand off of us, or off of this world, it would fly into oblivion. It would disintegrate. That's really what Isaiah thought was going to happen there in the temple in, in Isaiah 6. You know, when he fell on his face before his vision of God, he said, I've seen the Lord, I, I'm undone, I'm, I'm going to perish, I'm going to, I'm going to disappear. This, that word undone, that's literally what it means. Everything in me is going to just come apart. I'm just going to evaporate. It's going to look like Captain Kirk standing in the transporter, just gone. Except nowhere to go in that case. Jesus holds all things together, in, including, including, he holds together our salvation and our faith. As a matter of fact, it all comes down to this. The end of chapter three, uh, verse 3. When he had made purification of sins... He sat down at the right hand, the majesty, on high. Jesus is God's unique sacrifice. It wasn't God's only sacrifice. No, there'd been a, there'd been a whole history of God's sacrifices. They were lambs, and they were, they were bulls, and they were doves, and they were, they were all sorts of things. But every one of those was to represent this sacrifice. Jesus is God's unique sacrifice. He's the only one that brings about real salvation. He's the only one that brings about a right relationship with God in, 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 in totality. He's unique because there is none other like him, either now or any time in the future, or any time in the past, he is the unique sacrifice for the glory of God. 
You know, part of that's demonstrated throughout this whole letter in some of the, the lofty teaching about the, the person and work of Christ. And it's, expound, it's expounded with, with just exalting titles. Uh, we don't have time to look at all of them, but just think about some of the things he's described at. He's described here as the Son. He's described as the radiance of God's glory. He's described as the image of God. He's the firstborn. He's God himself. He's the Lord, the kurios. He, he's the pioneer of our salvation. He's a merciful and faithful high priest. He is a high priest. He's apostle and high priest. He's the son of God. He's the guarantor of a better covenant. He is the mediator of that same covenant. He is the pioneer. That is the one who launches it out. He's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And he he is the great shepherd of you and me. What the writer has said all the way through here is just expounding upon these first four verses. Jesus is God's final word. He's not going to send another Messiah. He's not going to send another word. He's not going to change his mind. He's not going to say, oh, I'll do it a different way. He does it one way. Through this one who says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. No one can come to the Father except through me. Uh, and, and I will, if you are my friend, I will introduce you to the Father, as, as the, the, the New Living Translation says. If you're my friend, if I know you, I'll introduce you to the Father, and you will know the Father. I mean, on and on and on, there is the, there is the presentation of Christ as being the final it of all history. And everything's wrapped up in him. Come to him and have life. Reject him and find death. Come to him by faith and walk with the living God. Turn away from him and you will not know the peace and the presence and the glory of the one that's been presented here. So I hope over these past 62 weeks you've been able to see a picture of Christ in a whole fresh and new way I hope you've been able to see him as God's final revelation I hope you even as a believer I hope you realize that that just because you come to Christ in faith at the beginning of your Christian life doesn't doesn't mean then you just forget about it you continue to come to him by faith you continue to trust in him you continue to need his grace and his glory and his presence and his work and his changing and his, his shaping in your life from the day you become a Christian till the day you die or he comes again you're dependent upon his presence and his grace just as much as you were the first day you believed and if there's suffering which will come to the believer rain falls on the just and the unjust alike if there is suffering you suffer in his hands you suffer knowing that that he knows I, I love the song we sang uh, uh, I forget which one it is blessed be your name uh, where it says, you give and take away. You give and you take away. But my heart will continue to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Job knew that. He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. 
It's his prerogative. It's his sovereignty. It's his purpose. It's his power. It's his right to do so. But no matter how he chooses to do it, my heart will always say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. And our hearts will always say, I hope as believers, and I hope as Grace Baptist Church, Glory be the name of Jesus. For he has showed us God in ways that we would never have seen had he not come. Let's pray. Father, we rest in that truth. And we rest in your presence. And Father, as I survey this congregation, I pray that your glory will be real to each of them. That Father, they will sense that and know that and live in that and abide in that. And Lord, prosper spiritually in that. You are King. And you are Lord. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn of